boldly, but boldly come before your throne, asking that you would come into this space. Come, not in just to this physical auditorium, but Father, we ask that you would come into our hearts. We give you permission to enter our minds, Father, to fill our minds and our hearts with your thoughts and your feelings, God, because we know what it is to fill our own minds with our own thoughts, or we know what it is to feel, the enemy, to, to feel what the enemy wants us to feel or to think what he wants us to think. But, Father, we ask that you would fill us with your thoughts in your minds. We just bind every, every voice, every thought of the enemy in Jesus' name, and we ask that you would speak your truth, because when you speak your truth, your truth sets us free. And so, Father, we want to be set free this morning. We pray that you would just give us wisdom, give us ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One more thing before we go into this. We're going to be praying for our students. They're going to be coming up here, so uh, be prepared to pray. Uh, School starts tomorrow, so we want to do that. Let your kingdom move. This is our 21-day fast, our 21-day campaign, and it starts today. So, and the reason we started it today is because it's going to lead up to when we move, which is September 8th, God willing, into Crescent Park. So the last day of the fast will be the Saturday before the Sunday when we move. Now, we had a fast at the beginning of the year, right? How many of y'all participated in that fast? I have never been part of a mid-year fast before. I never have. I, I've always thought 21 days at the beginning of the year is more than enough, Lord, right? But... We felt that this was a time, and I know it's, it's a little kind of awkward. We're starting school. I know parents, you're, you're trying to get in the swing of going right into uh, the school year. But going into this move, we felt that this is not just a physical move. We're not just changing locations from one address to another address. But this is a spiritual move. And I want to I look at two uh, Two questions or two points I have, not really points, but number one, why? Why are we going into this fast today? And I mentioned it the past few months, but I really want to, as best as I can, hit the nail on the head onto why we're doing this. Because if we don't see the importance of this fast right now, there's no reason to say what it is or how we're going to execute this fast. There's no reason. So I want to do my best to explain why. Us moving to Crescent, how many of y'all were here when Pastor John came? Pastor John Copeland from Crescent Park. There was one Sunday where we switched pulpits, and I had the opportunity to go to the church and, and to share a word. It is a very different culture than what we have here. First of all, the average age is like 70 years old over there. Our average age is probably 35 years old, maybe a little higher, a little lower. So it is a different culture. We've had a lot of favor with them. I've been very open about that. A lot of favor with the, with the church. But the truth is, um, a lot of things could go wrong. I don't want to be sound pessimistic, and we've had a lot of favor. And honestly, I, ha- I haven't seen many things that would make me question how things could go wrong. But I really attribute that to because the Lord has had favor. And I believe he's calling us into this fast so that we will continue to have favor so that the enemy won't have his way. We're, sharing a, we're going to be sharing a facility with Crescent Park. Now, that, that's not new in the Christian world. There's many churches today where one congregation will meet in the morning and then another congregation will meet later in the morning or in the afternoon. What's going to be unique about our situation is we're literally going to share the same hallways with them. You're going to see a lot of people that are not part of our congregation but are meeting in that same church. 
the reason I, I'm, I'm saying all that is because there is potential for things to go wrong. I don't, and I'm not, again, not just trying to be pessimistic, just trying to be realistic, which is why we need to pray. Especially, I, I honestly, I feel like a honored guest going into that, into that building. There is a congregation that has met there for many, many years. We're essentially being invited into their, into their home. And so there is potential for them, for certain congregants to feel a certain way about people who are not their age, not part of their culture, to come into their home. And so I believe that that's one of the reasons this fast is necessary, so that God, so that God not us, not them, so that God can bring unity to our congregations. I really believe I've heard of, I've, I've heard of, um, and many of y'all have of testimonies of other churches and maybe other cities where God has done amazing things. I believe this has the potential to be talked about that way, where it said, wow, man, God brought two groups of people together that unless God intervened, it wouldn't be possible. And so I really believe this is one reason why we need to, we need to, to pray and fast. Now, do you think uh, the devil wants this to work? No. And let me say this, he has the power to do something about it. He has the power to do something, and I know there's a lot of teaching, and this is his power. I don't want to give the devil too much credit, but this is what happens. The enemy speaks to us in our mind, and that's how he attacks us. If he can make us to think something long enough, then he can get us to speak something. If he can get us to speak something enough times, then he can get us to, to act on something, and that's, where, and that's where we get into trouble. We get in trouble... So that's his part. We get in trouble when we say, you know, I don't care to read the word. I don't care to know the difference between what God is saying and what the enemy is saying. That's on us. When we say, you know, I'll just go to church on Sunday morning. I'll, man, I'm, I'll just might pick up my Bible during the day or in the morning one time. But if we don't, aren't actively trying to fight the enemy, aren't actively trying to renew our mind, then that's on us. But the enemy, just, oh, so that's one side. But once we begin to live for the Lord, begin to renew our minds, how many of you know the enemy still fights? He still sends thoughts our way. And I know there have been plenty of times when I'm just even praying. And you ever been praying and then a, a thought, a temptation comes along and you're like, where the heck did that come from? Like I am, God, I'm consciously sitting down trying to open up my Bible, trying to spend some quiet moments with you. And this thought came out of nowhere. And how many of y'all have felt condemned before? Like, man, how could I be thinking that in this moment? How many of y'all know that thought did not come from you? That came from the enemy. The other day I was praying and it was, man, it was, it was good. I was spending some time with the Lord. And this thought, the enemy reminded me of something that had happened over the weekend that he knew had the power to stop me in my tracks, in my prayer. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, I knew that was the enemy. And I knew he wanted me to, to quit focusing on what God wanted me to focus on and to focus on what had happened and dwell on it and rehash the, the memory. And I had to fight in that moment and say, no, I'm not going to think on that and therefore derail what the Lord is wanting to do in this moment. So there is a battle. And, and and I believe this fast is going to help us win the battle. We are fighting a spiritual battle. And unless some things, unless we pray and fast, some things won't change. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this. I don't know how many times I've mentioned it here at Kingdom. But there are generational curses. There are generational curses. Uh, how many of y'all, 
know or are part of, in, part of a family that has dealt with alcoholism in your life. It just seems like the grandfather and then the son and then the brothers and then the grandson and the grand or even the, and the granddaughters or the daughters deal with, deal with these things. And you're wondering, man, that's crazy, the whole family. That is a generational curse. I've, I've heard of a, a family, I was t- talking to a friend and, and they were saying, all of my sisters got pregnant before they were married. And I want to be the one that changes that. To me, that, that is a generational curse. That doesn't, that's not, oh, that's just, happened. no. There are curses that are put on us. How about families who have dealt with sickness and disease? It just seems like the parents deal with this, the kids deal with this, your kids are dealing with that. Now, there are some things that are hereditary, right? I, I, I believe that there are some things, some things, but, but there are more things, but I really believe that there are more things that are not hereditary than we think, and they are generational curses. Look at Exodus 20, verse 4. This is the, this is the chapter with the Ten Commandments. I just want to read this passage to illustrate the idea of there being generational curses. This is what um, uh, God told Moses to tell the people. You must not make for yourself a carved image, which is an idol. Don't make an idol. And now an idol is not just a, a, a two foot, three foot, four foot thing that we see. An idol is anything that we give more intention, worship than God. It could be your job. It could be your kids. It could be, your, it could be school for your kids. It could be anything, but it's an idol. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me or reject me. Think about this. He says, do not make anything an idol. Don't worship anyone or anything more than you worship me. And worship is simply giving something attention. That's, that's the basic definition of worship. Don't give anything else more attention than you give me. And if you give something attention more than you give me, this is what's going to happen. I, the Lord, am a jealous God. I will visit the iniquity, the iniquity which is sin, this ongoing sin. And if we connect it to the verse before, it's an idol. It's worshiping an idol. He's basically saying, I will visit the iniquity of you worshiping idols upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. I truly believe, I truly believe that many of the generational curses that we deal with today, we are dealing with because one of our family members in previous generations disobeyed the Lord Intentionally or unintentionally, and we are suffering from the consequences of that. This is biblical. So, some things will not be broken unless we go to the Lord and ask him in prayer to reveal to us, Lord, when did we go astray? When in our family did we go astray? This requires more than just coming to church on a Sunday morning. Requires more than just, as my dad says, just punching a time clock on your way into the auditorium. This requires getting serious and saying, how tired are we, how tired are we of dealing with generational curses, dealing with sickness in our life? I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to deal with those things anymore. There are certain things that I've dealt with, am dealing with, that I'm saying enough is enough. I want to experience the fullness of, of the freedom that God has for me. Does anybody want to experience that this morning? 
You know, I've thought about this a lot. This is an important sermon to me. I feel like if there's, um, if there's, what's, um, what's, what are those, what are those, um, my soapbox, here we go. If there's something I have, it's this thing. It's we as Christians, we are curated to live in a freedom that we aren't aware of. And it requires us getting serious. And the other day I was like, okay, I'm preparing the sermon, preparing what to say. I'm like, God, I so desperately want to, to convince, to persuade, to show everyone in our church the importance of this fast. Man, like I said last week, if I could do brain surgery and change some, some nerves around, wires around in your head so that you would go to every night of prayer, man, I would do it like that. But the Lord showed me there are some things that cannot be communicated unless the Holy Spirit shows us. And then he also showed me, Josh, the best thing you can do is to go to the Word, is teach the Word, and that's what we're doing. There's a story in Mark 9, verse 14. You can go in there. I'm not going to read very many verses, but there's a story in Mark 9, verse 14 through 29. And it's a story where Jesus healed a demon-possessed boy. And the word of God shows that the spirit had been attacking him since he was a little boy. And it said that the spirit would throw him, this demon would throw him into the fire, would throw him into the water. Whenever the spirit wanted to, he would throw the boy on the ground. He would start convulsing. He would start foaming at the mouth. Anybody seen that before? Maybe on, on, on movies, right? A lot of movies are based on stuff like this. I've seen this before. I've personally seen, I've, I've prayed. I remember one time I was at church and I just felt the Lord begin, just lead me to pray for this, this, this girl. And her mom was right there. And as soon as I put my hand on her, she just started spazzing out and fell to the ground. Demonic activity is real. The reason we're fasting, the reason we're praying is because we understand that we are living in a spiritual world and a spiritual battle is taking place. I don't want to freak you out, but this, I remember one time I saw there was somebody sent, I think my mom, a picture of this little boy was taking, was, was playing with his mom's camera, probably like four or five years old, taking pictures of himself. This picture came out and there was another little boy behind him that was not in the room. I saw the picture. It was a dark little boy. And this little boy, the, the son had been talking about an imaginary friend that he had. And... I don't want to get too much into this, but that is not always healthy. Imaginary friends, a lot of times there's like demonic things that are happening behind there. My mom has done a lot of inner healing with, with parents who have had kids who have dealt with this. Demonic activity is real. It is real. It is real. And what the enemy wants to do is put us to sleep and make us think, no, that's only in the movies. No, that, that, no it's okay. If you just talk it out... If you have an issue, if you just talk it out, just see a therapist, if you just do this. No, some things will not change until we get serious with the Lord and start praying and fasting. There's, there's a handful of things that, I, that I've dealt with the past few months, and, I've, and I, the Lord has shown me what they're dealing with is not physical, it's not relational, it's spiritual. And until they start, until they start dealing with it like that, they're not going to get over it. Just a bunch of things just the past few months where God's like, that's not, that's not physical. That's spiritual. That's not just an issue with the, the, in the marriage just because they, they can't communicate. That's spiritual. And so we have, to treat, we have to treat 
our walk with the Lord, this life, like it, what it is. It is a spiritual battle, which is one reason we're doing this 21-day fast. Now, in our fast, what we are doing, we are petitioning the Lord to stand in the gap and do something. And I want to read this quick story, and it's in Genesis 18, if you want to turn there. This is a story about how man has the ability to change God's mind. What we're doing, and, we, and, and this may challenge some theology, but we have the ability to influence the Lord, to ask the Lord to literally to step in and intervene on our behalf. Look at Genesis 18. This is a story of how three men, which if you read the story, it was the Lord and two angels, came to visit Abraham. And they came to visit Abraham and to tell Abraham that he was going to have a son, but then they also had business right after that. We're going to read about what these two angels were going to do. Verse 16, then the men got up from their meal and looked out toward Sodom. I'm going to read from here. Then the men set out from there and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He says, that he sent off the two angels. And the Lord said, hey, should I keep in secret what I'm about to do, what these two angels are about to do? He said, Moses, I mean, Abraham is my friend. I'm going to tell him what I'm about to do. Verse 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Verse 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Skip down to verse 20. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Verse 22. So the man turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Basically, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to go down to Sodom. I've been looking down from heaven, and I've noticed that Sodom is a wicked, wicked city. city. And so I'm going to go send these men to see if, if they have changed their ways. And if they haven't changed their ways, I'm going to destroy the city with fire. Look at, look at Abraham's response. Abraham said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He said, there are righteous people in that city. I know my, my, my nephew's there a lot and his family. Are you going to sweep away the righteous just because the wicked, just because the rest of the town is wicked? Verse 24. Suppose, he says, he tells the Lord, begins to test the Lord. Suppose, God, there are 50 righteous men in this town. Will you please spare this, this city, Sodom, because there are 50 righteous people? Verse 25. And he, he goes on to say, God, surely you wouldn't do this. He, he, he uh, addresses God's character and says, God, you're a good God. You're a forgiving God. Surely you wouldn't do this. Verse 26. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous men in the city, 50 righteous people, I will spare the whole city. Look at that. God, Abra Abraham Chain, he was going to destroy the city anyways. But because Abraham asked him, prayed, entreated him and said, God, would you please spare the city if there's 50 people? God said, because you're asking me, Abraham, because I'm going to make you into a great nation, I will listen to you. Look at verse 27. Abraham answered said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. He says, I'm just dust and ashes. I'm nobody. I'm like a, I'm like a grasshopper compared to you. Verse 28. Suppose that five are lacking and there are only 45 righteous people. Will you destroy the city for 45 people? And he said, I will not. And God said, I will not destroy if there are 45. Next verse, 30. 
And then he said, oh, Lord, don't be angry with me. I know I've already asked you for 50, and, and, and if there's 45. But suppose he drops down the number, he said, he's feeling confident, and he drops the, down, the number down from 45 to 30 and says, God, what if there's only 30 people? Because in the back of his head, he probably knows what God knows. There's probably not that many people, righteous people. He says, if there are 30 righteous people, we would not destroy the city. And God said, I will not do it if I find 30 righteous people. Verse 32. He keeps going. Then he said, oh, Lord, don't be angry with me. Anybody been there before? Like, Lord, I know I already asked you. I know you already said yes, but God, I, I, I need a little bit more mercy. I need a little bit more grace. He says, don't be angry with me. I will speak again just this once. He drops down from 30 to 10 people. 10 people. He says, Lord, what if only 10 are found there? Will you please not destroy Sodom for the sake of 10 people? He said, for the sake of 10 and Abraham, I won't destroy it. And then he went on his way. There's a couple takeaways from this story. First of all, your prayers can, God, can cause God to intervene. This is a perfect example. And most of you all know the rest of the story. I'm going to say it. I'm going to finish it in just a second. But if we stop there, your prayers can cause God to intervene and change his mind about something. The second takeaway is this. God will do a lot, but he will not do everything. The end of the story is this. These angels went to Sodom and to check out the city to see if they could find 10 righteous people. Lot, which was Abraham's nephew, was there, his wife and his two daughters, four, and their husbands. There were six people. All they needed was four more people to be righteous, to fear the Lord, and the city would be saved. But when the angels got there, they found that Lot had told his daughters and told his son-in-laws that they needed to leave because there wasn't 10. And the son-in-laws didn't even believe. They said, Lot, you're acting crazy. There were only four people righteous. Only four people. Moral of the story is this. God will do a lot, but he will not do everything. For God to intervene in the season that you're in, in the predicament that you're in, it may simply require you to get up and go to prayer and just show up. I was talking to the small groups, and we're going to be talking more about small groups last week, but I was telling, I was telling the leaders, if, they, if, if we can just get people to show up, we'll count that as a victory, and we'll trust that the Lord will speak to them when they're at small group. God will do a lot, but he will not do everything. There are certain things that God is responsible for, but there are certain things we are responsible for. And God is asking, we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us here in a minute. God, thank, we're going to thank him. God, thank you that you are not making me do everything. But Father, what, what part of this equation do I play in? And we need to be obedient and do it. So why are we fasting? Because we need God to move. I'm going to go through the second one quickly. What is it? It's a 21-day fast, 21-day campaign. Now, campaign may be a weird thing to associate with the fast, but I want to give you the definition of campaign real quick. A campaign, this is the first definition. It's a military operation for a specific objective. And we're in, we're in, we're in a battle. And so this fast is a military plan to see something done. This is an intense strategic battle plan. This is what this fast is. We're saying, Lord, we're going to partner with what you're speaking to our heart during these 21 days so that your kingdom can move. 
not just the church, but your kingdom in my, in my heart, in my family's life, in this community. Let your kingdom move. We want to partner with him. Now, what does it include? 21 nights of prayer and 21 days of fasting. The 21 nights of prayer, and I think John said 6 p.m., it's going to be 7 p.m. every day for 21 days. Now, that is a commitment. I know it's a commitment. I was kind of nervous when we did it at the beginning of the year, but after like two or three days, I thought I'd rather, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be anywhere else because I see what the Lord is doing. 21 nights of prayer. Now, I understand things come up, and starting school, totally understand. Things happen. And I think the Lord showed me a principle right here. You can't, you can't, and I said this a second, you can't, you're not responsible for what you can't do. You're not responsible for what you can't do. But guess what? You are responsible for what you can do. And the Lord knows your heart whether or not you can make it or not. I know this is a lot. I know a lot of churches may not like say it like this. But we need to join together as a body of Christ and pray. And we're going to meet every night, 7 p.m. to about 8 p.m. We're not going to go super long. It's going to be kind of like uh, the, the Israelites when they walked around Jericho. They just walked around one time and then they went home. They didn't, they didn't do extra walking around. We're going, to, we're going to meet, but we're going to meet consistently. And we're going to ask the Lord to intervene. And we're going to pray this, Lord, would you show us when we're making excuses? Would you show me? In Matthew 18, it says, whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is. There is power when God's people come together. It's one thing to spend some time with the Lord every morning in prayer, but there's something that happens when God's people come together. The walls come down. Situations change. The Lord sets us free from things. That's our nights of prayer and then fasting. Real quickly, what is fasting? We talked about this at the beginning of the year. I like Jensen Franklin's definition. Biblical fasting is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. For a spiritual purpose. Fasting is not just going without food. That's torture. Right? Anybody try to diet or just go without food? That's torture. It is hard. Fasting is saying, God, I'm going to go without food or something and couple it with with, pr- with prayer and getting into his word so that something will change. We must join it together. And if you want to go to kingdomodessa.com, there are many different types of fast. And I want to just read this last story real quick before we pray, and in a minute we'll invite the, the kids up. Uh, in Daniel 10, verse 1. We've read this before, but I want to read it again because it illustrates where we get 21 days from. In, in Daniel chapter 9, God had just spoken to the prophet Daniel and showed him what was going to happen in the future. And then Daniel 10 comes along. This is where we get 21 days from. This is where we base our fast on. Look at uh, Daniel 10 verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. And it says, When the vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three whole weeks. So basically... The, the first part of the story uh, talks about the end of the 21 days. He says a vision had came. But before that, Daniel had been mourning, crying, fasting, interceding, praying for 21 days, for three weeks. And then it says, on April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of this river, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. He begins to describe the man who was an angel that he saw. Verse 7, only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing. 
Verse 8, so I was left there all alone seeing this amazing vision. My strength left me, my face grew pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted. He fainted again and lay there with my face to the ground. Verse 10, just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, this is what this man said after fasting. I want, this is really important. After fasting, 21 days. There's going to be a moment when we're fasting, we're praying in the middle of our fast, and we want to give up and say, God, I don't even know why I'm torturing my body by uh, not eating this food or not drinking that. God, I don't hear you. You may not hear from the Lord until after the fast is over. I said this the other day. When the children of Israel were walking around the walls, do you think the people were on the walls mocking them, throwing things at them, attacking them, saying, y'all are crazy for walking around this wall Every day, you've been here two days, three days, four days, five days, six days, you, you're crazy. The enemy is going to attack you and speak to you and try to convince you to stop praying and fasting. It's important to understand that the Lord may not speak. He may not intervene until the fast is over, but we can be sure that he will. He says, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully. Isn't that, sometimes we just need to hear that. He says, Daniel, you're precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said to me, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding. Since the first day. And to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. He said, the first day you begin to pray, today, this Sunday, the first day you begin to pray, God is hearing your prayers. But what happened? But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom, this is a, a demonic prince of the kingdom of Persia, blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit, with the spirit of the prince of the, of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this version concerns and time yet to come. I really, really hope by this point we understand we're living in a spiritual battle. In this battle, you're going to find opposition, and it will come through any way that the enemy can get to you. It may come through your marriage. It may come through work. It may come through not having enough finances. It may come through an emergency that happens. All those things, they're just distractions. They're distractions. I remember I was going through something last year, and, and, and Scott said, Stay on, Scott, y'all heard him last week. He said, stay on point. Those are just distractions. It's just the enemy roaring, trying to scare you, trying to get you to do things differently, to act out of fear, to stop what you're doing. They're just distractions. They have no power. That's what the enemy does. He roars and makes us stop what we're doing. That's his only power. And he can, and he can roar <laughs> through your wife, through your husband. He can roar through your kids. He can roar through your job, through your finances, through anything. And he can roar, and he, and he is causing many of God's people to stop doing what God has called them to do. I'm going to be honest, this past, and this is a vulnerable moment, but this past few months, I have struggled to pray. And at first, I started to just condemn myself, like, how could you do this, Josh? You're about to celebrate a year. This is an important time. But when I get up in the morning, it is hard to pray. And for the past... Two or three, four, five years, I've really learned to give my mornings to the Lord, and it has been a struggle. And one day I realized, you know what? I know my heart. I want to serve the Lord. I want to give my life. I want to give my life 
to service and serving this church and serving this community and serving my family, I love the Lord and I realize that it's an attack of the enemy. Even yesterday, uh, even as I was preparing for the sermon, I was getting up to pray and I didn't want to pray. I'm like, Lord, and the Lord showed me this is why you have to fast. There's an enemy who is wanting to stop us from doing what God wants us to do and being the overcoming believers that God wants us to become. So I want to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to fight? The fight's coming, and it's actually here. You may not just see it yet. Are you ready to fight? We will stand and fight or we'll perish. And I don't know about you. I don't, I don't want any of our families to be another statistic. I don't want our church to be another statistic. We have to see God's kingdom established in our lives. When we do that, things will change. Let's all stand. I don't want us just to bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. We're going to pray for our kiddos in just a second. But before we pray for them, we have to be right. We have to be right. So I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to talk to the Lord for a second and ask him to speak to us. Father, the time is urgent. The world is getting worse and worse and worse. And, and our families are dealing with things that generations past never dealt with. Father, would you put in our hearts, in our minds, an urgency, an urgency to stand in the gap and not to back down, to cower away, to be afraid of what the enemy is wanting to do in our lives. Father, we believe, Father, we believe that you are strong enough and you're big enough, God, to deal with every situation. God, we believe, God, that you have a plan. You have a plan, Father, and God, you have equipped us. You have equipped us and put your armor on us. Every piece of armor that we need to fight the enemy, you have equipped us. Father, we say that we're ready. We say that we're willing. God, we're asking for your king to be, kingdom to come and your will to be done in our lives. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit, say, Lord, and you don't have to say this out loud, just in your own way, say, Lord, is there anything in my life that is keeping me, that will keep me, that I may not realize right now, that may pop up in the middle of this week? Is there anything, is there a thought, is there a mindset that is keeping me from joining in this fast? If you're part of this congregation, you are supposed to be doing this fast. I'm going to be bold enough to say it like that. You are supposed to be at these nights of prayer. You're supposed to be fasting. This is, the, this, is the, this is what the Lord wants for this body of Christ. So ask him, is there something that is keeping me from joining in this wholeheartedly? Just take a second. It's as simple as that. Just say it plain like that and then be quiet and listen for the Lord's voice. He wants to speak.
your heads about if you would. As you ask the Lord, is there anyone the Lord has shown, has pointed out something very specific to you? Would you raise your hand high? If the Lord has pointed out something very specific as it, as it concerns this fast, good, good. Don't second guess the Lord. You're going to leave here and you're going to be like, the enemy's going to say, well, that wasn't really the Lord. That, you were just, in, it was emotion, it was probably just emotion. That is the Lord. You need to hold on to it. You need to meditate on it and say, Lord, this is you. I'm not going to second guess you. That is the Lord. We have to believe that he's speaking to us by faith, just like we do everything else. So, Father, right now, I ask that you would equip every person, every person to hear your voice. Let me pray one more prayer. If you've never given your life.